Hello, and welcome to the CFA Society San Francisco podcast, where we interview and discuss current topics with leading members of the Bay Area investment community. This week, Tanya Subatang, Senior Membership Manager with CFA Society San Francisco, sits down with Dominic Bellotti, CFA, Vice President and Regional Consultant with State Street Global Advisors. Listen in as they discuss the history and future of ETFs as the U.S.'s first ETF celebrates its 30th year. Hey, Dominic. It's nice to see you. Hey, Tanya. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. So you're the vice president and regional consultant at State Street Global Advisors. This is where your focus is working with financial advisors, but you also have over seven years of experience working with ETFs at two of the three largest ETF providers. And for those that don't know, State Street Global Advisors in 1993 also launched the first US listed and still largest ETF to offer investors. So who better than to talk about everything ETFs than you? (laughs) I hope so. Try to be the resident expert as much as possible. So we'll see. (laughs) Well, let's jump right in. I'm curious to know, how did ETFs came to be? Yeah, of course. So it's actually very fitting because today is the 30-year anniversary of the first ETF. So literally today, Monday, January 23rd, 30 years ago, the first ETF was started, which was SPY. The reason SPY came to be, so if we wind the clocks back all the way until 1987, there was one of the most historic market crashes in the history of the United States stock market. Stocks went down on average that day around 20%. And folks were wondering, is the market broken? What's going on? How do we fix it? It turned out from that crash that there was an issue with a lot of investors who were buying either individual securities or also futures contracts on those individual securities. And they were trying to get broad market exposure. And they all were selling at the same time, causing massive triggers in the market. And so the American stock exchange at the time called Amex thought that the market needed additional liquidity when it came to buying baskets of stocks such as the S&P 500 in the market. At that point, there wasn't anything. There were mutual funds in the market. Vanguard had come out with their 500 index mutual fund, but that settled once a day at the end of the day. And there was nothing necessarily within traded within a market day that had a market price that was fluctuating throughout the day that traders could use to get in and out of exposure to the S&P 500 or even trade options on, for example. And so Nate Most, who was with the American Stock Exchange at the time, he actually first went to Vanguard and asked them if they had any interest in creating the first ETF. And Vanguard said flatly, no. At the time, their CEO and founder, Jack Bogle, one of the biggest pioneers within our industry came out with index funds, thought that it was a bad idea for investors because ETF, the vehicle that he was envisioning was just like an individual stock. And he didn't think that investors should be trading in and out of individual stocks. And he thought that ETFs might be a perverse way to get exposure to index funds. And so then instead, Nate Most went over to State Street. At the time, it was State Street Bank, which we obviously still have today as the second largest custodial bank in the world. But because of State Street's strong like back end and middle office 
operations. It was a match made in heaven in order to concoct the vehicle that we know today as the ETF. And so in 1993, they launched the ETF with about $6.5 million in seed capital. And ever since then, it has been the largest ETF in the world, continues to be. A few fun facts about SPY, which still remains today, again, the largest ETF in the world. It accounts for 7% of all trading activity on the US stock exchanges. It accounts for 20% of all trading activity for all ETFs specifically. And so this is kind of how the ETF came to be. And then after, obviously, Spider and State Street Global Advisors came out with SPY, then you had other big asset managers jump into the mix. Barclays came out with their iShares suite lineup. And then eventually that was sold to BlackRock in 2008, 2009. And then Vanguard also wanted to jump in the fray as well. Um, they actually almost acquired iShares as well, took a look at those books, but realized that they actually wanted to do that internally. And then they came out with their suite as well. And then today we have BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street as the one, two, and three in terms of number of assets within the industry. Wow, that is, that's quite impressive. So where is the ETF industry today? Yeah, it's a good question. So we've seen a ton of changes in those 30 years since we came out with our fledgling product, SPY. There's been a huge shift in the industry. And so in the 90s and the 2000s, the industry was primarily dominated by mutual funds, right? And mutual funds are still extremely common today, whether it's 401ks, even IRAs and brokerage accounts. Mutual funds are still really widely held within the industry. But we're seeing a massive sea change. So within the last 10, 15 years, investors have been piling into ETFs, primarily equity ETFs. But then also we've seen a more recent trend when it comes to fixed income ETFs as well. And so a few figures, at least from 2022 specifically, that shows how this sea change is happening. In 2022 alone, $700 billion flowed out of mutual funds and $600 billion went into ETFs. So you see this massive, almost a like-in-kind exchange between mutual funds and ETFs within one year. And $250 billion of that $600 billion that went into ETFs was actually fixed income ETFs. And so even though equity ETFs have been a lot more popular within the last 10 to 15 years, fixed income ETFs have become extremely popular in the last few years. Folks have seen the liquidity out of them, the cost benefit in them, and then also the tax efficiency, which is a huge reason why folks are moving from mutual funds to ETFs. There are more ETFs than there are individual stocks in the US stock exchange right now. So more and more products are coming to the surface. You're also seeing a lot of old school active mutual fund managers that never had ETFs in the past are actually launching their own version of active ETFs as well. They're either starting from the ground up and getting seed capital or some folks like DFA, for example, are actually converting some of their old mutual funds into the ETF structure because they realize that investors want that type of wrapper that's more tax efficient at the end of the day. And then you're also seeing a ton more asset classes too that are being put into the ETF wrapper. So whether it's commodities, there are even hedge fund strategies now within the ETF wrapper, different parts of the fixed income market, parts of the market that you 
may have thought 10, 15 years ago would be way too illiquid to put into an ETF wrapper, folks have been able to find ways to bring liquidity to those areas of the market. And now we have an $8 trillion industry in terms of ETFs alone. It was up to $10 trillion at the beginning of last year with the market correction. It's around eight, eight plus. But again, a massive sea change when it comes to money flowing from mutual funds to ETFs, one of the fastest growing parts of our asset management industry today. Yeah, I could definitely see that. So I'm curious on your outlook on the future of ETF. Sure. So... I wish I had a crystal ball, first of all. As the great Howard Marks said recently in his memo, there are two types of people, those who don't know and those who know that they don't know. So hopefully I can say that I know that I don't know what's exactly going to happen, but I can maybe make an educated guess based off of some of the trends that have already been happening within our industry. And then also some things that may be coming down the pike that we may not be seeing right now and we may have our blinders on for. So a couple of trends that that I'm seeing right now and could possibly persist into the future. Again, more asset classes coming to the ETF side of the industry that could be more illiquid securities, uh, parts of the market that you that aren't necessarily investable through a mutual fund structure. That could be, again, hedge funds, private markets, more esoteric parts of the fixed income market. You also may have more ETF-specific firms start to be built as well. Anytime you have such a, a great and efficient product, you typically have derivatives of companies that are built out of that too. And so we've seen like a lot of TAMP firms that only manage ETFs and sell those model portfolios. I think you're going to continue to see the growth of the industry in terms of the companies that are going to be managing ETFs. Another trend that we're seeing right now, and it's come up within the last few years, is voting transparency. And so this may not be specific to ETFs, but not specific to ETFs, but also mutual funds as well. Uh, But I think it fits into this conversation is large players in the space like BlackRock, like Vanguard are thinking about how are they getting voting power in the shares that are owned within an ETF or mutual fund structure to the end client. So then they have the ability to vote on those proxies at the end of the day. It's a hot button issue right now, uh, but it's something we can certainly see accelerating in terms of the type of transparency with these products for end investors. You may also see a different or a change in regulation in the future as well, right? So right now, one of the biggest reasons for folks moving from mutual funds to the ETF structure has to do with the way that the ETF structure is tax efficient versus a mutual fund structure. They pay a lot less capital gains than do a mutual fund because of the create redeem process. But is that something that regulators or Congress in the future will look at and deem that they need to possibly close a quote unquote loophole and take away that that tax efficiency in those vehicles? Does that stop the flow of flow into ETFs in the future? future? Or has the tide already turned where folks aren't necessarily and asset managers aren't going to turn back and go back to mutual funds or a different vehicle, for example? So regulation is definitely something to take into consideration. And then finally, I think the way that our industry consumes research as well. So in the past, a lot of research, and it still is, and and I don't think this part of the industry will necessarily change. There will always be ratings on individual stocks and research done on individual companies, bottom-up analysis, for active management. But as ETFs continue to grow, more advisors and allocators who are using ETFs are going to want research that tells them top-down macro what they think is going on 
in the economy, in the markets here in the US or overseas. So they can make more of a top-down play with ETFs that gives you regional exposure, country exposure, value, growth, different parts of the yield curve, for example. And so I think that macro research is going to continue to grow versus some of the micro research that maybe was more popular 30 to 40 years ago. Well, that is definitely a lot of wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much, Dominic, for sharing that with me. It was such a pleasure learning more about ETFs and definitely looking forward to what the future holds. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. And happy 30th birthday again to SPY. All the folks at Spider are extremely excited about it and looking forward to, uh, to what the year has to offer. So thanks for having me, Tanya. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of the CFA Society San Francisco podcast. We hope you enjoyed the engaging discussion. Please stay tuned for more episodes of this podcast published on the last Tuesday of the month in our weekly newsletters and through the CFA Society San Francisco podcast channel, available through most major podcast apps.